Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply. Welcome to What Are You Doing Here? Thanks to AATC, Australasian Academy of Tennis Coaches, providing quality coach education across the globe. Courses delivered by industry leaders and tennis business owners. Learn locally, coach globally, internationally endorsed. Inquire and enrol at aatc.tennis. What are you actually doing in tennis now? I'm coaching. I stopped playing two years ago, or I'd say, what, three years ago almost now. Um, corona hit. Uh, motivation was low, getting back out there with the restrictions and everything. And since then, I've been uh, on the other side of the fence, trying to teach what I learned. Okay, so starting to make your transition from the professional tour into, into coaching. Well, I guess we should tell everyone, uh, we have a fair bit of history. A uh, long time we've known each other. We did a lot of travel together, work together. Why don't we start by telling us about your professional tennis journey? I think it's pretty pretty interesting story for the people. Yeah, what can I tell you? You know, playing juniors back in the day, you have a dream, you're thinking, you know, I want to go, I want to get somewhere, you know, on the tour, you're watching those Wimbledon matches. Playing juniors in Australia, right? Playing juniors in Australia. I was in the state squads, trying to be the best in the state in Victoria, playing the best kids, and then you're hoping to play the nationals. Journey goes 16, 17, 18, you're finishing high school, and then you, you're in this limbo thinking, you know, and I'm ready to play. And then you go out and play what used to be satellites back in the day. You know, I'm going to do this year. I'm going to take over. And then you have a reality check. You know, you're losing in the qualifying of those satellites. Uh, it's financially tough. you got to pay the hotels. you got to pay flights. Uh, you, sometimes you're losing second round of qualities on a Sunday or on a Monday. And the next match is not till another week. You you know, you got to financially survive that week to make it the next week. And I kept going another year after high school to see how that would go. And then had an offer of playing college. And then there was a... There was a very good friend of mine, Paul Arbor, who's the assistant coach at Auburn, and he said, yeah, you gotta come out and try this out. It might be for you, financially, it's a, it's a good option to kind of stay in the game and you, you get your degree. And so one thing led to another, and I was in Auburn, Alabama. Three years, I went there, didn't do my last year there. After that, I was getting each to get back out there and play. And, okay. uh, and, you, and you did quite well in college, right? I did well in college. I was yes. uh, I got to uh, highest rank NCA ranking. Division one was six, uh, so top 10. Yeah, I was pretty successful, but I was, I would say I was probably not ready for the tour after that, but uh, the experience that I gained there for three years really helped me. And then I got back out there and started playing. And did you think you were ready for the tour at the time? I thought I was going <laughs> top 100, you know. I thought I was going to just beat them all up. And, you know, three years away from the tour, you're thinking, you know, you've got better. Be, you know, you, you don't know, you know, the other players are getting better too. So then when I went back out there, I had a bit of success early on and I quickly got up to 500, 600, 700 in that range. Then I realized there was a bit of development to go. And then I developed for years uh, after that. So it's for, let's say from 23 to 28, 29 was a lot of development. I changed my game. Talk about that for a little bit. Where did you go? What did you do after college? So after college, I was uh, I went to London. There was a coach, an Aussie coach in London who uh, who said, come down, I've got a club here. You can, you can stay here on site, spend a lot of time in the gym and, you know, getting better. Realized by that stage that I needed some technical help. I guess the better players, I was getting a bit worked over in the, in the matches and just technically I couldn't hit some spots. 
with my forehands and backhands and you know I couldn't change the game up I grew up following the legends like Pat Cash Pat Rafters and I was more of an attacking servant volley player and uh, coming to 2000 2001 2002 the courts have been slowing down board conditions slowing down and that serve volley game had gone out of play so I did learn to play from the, from the back of the court and that was uh, that required technical changes I grew up with a lot of backhand slice a lot of forehand slice you know a lot of chip and charge Pat Rafter style you know yeah sure and uh, serving volley on second serves that was going out of business I was just getting worked by guys 200 you know and uh, so I went back tried to you know change a few things and I didn't realize that how long that would take that was a journey in itself so I continued to play on the tour but I and I was between 400 and 450 for a long time just because I was making those technical changes and I was still getting worked over and uh, then I started to play a bit of doubles at the same time there I had a bit of success playing a lot in Europe right playing a lot in Europe I was basically so I spent two years in London then I moved over to Germany there was another coach in Germany said come down here could be better set up you can drive with the car Germany is connected to what six or seven countries Mm-hmm. Uh, by land so you can drive and uh, that was uh, logistically a bit better so yeah. I did that I made that move and then the guy was also continuing to you know uh, work technically trying to be a better player the doubles came a bit easier to me because it was a certain volley game you could come forward you know I'd grown up with that so so I continued to play singles and I played singles for a long time like I was trying to you know I was getting up to 290 300 310 and but doubles was going a bit faster I was at 120 110 190 so you found yourself in Germany and, and the move was just for tennis reasons purely yeah it was tennis and what connected wife? okay so yeah. you, you met your wife yeah, yeah so I, I didn't meet my wife in Germany. Your, I, your yeah. now wife yeah. yeah so yeah it's, it's an interesting story my wife's sister she played in the same team as me in Auburn okay and then uh, so that was the link and then I played league matches it's a pretty good system what they have in Germany here is you get some financial help to play those league matches and I use that money to get on the tour and play yep and uh, so I was spending a bit of time in Germany you know so, spend- so that was your entry into, into that was my entry and, yep. yeah and this connection to the coach was through my wife that she uh, you know she said oh you've got to come down here there's a coach he's uh, you know he's pretty motivated to work with some young players and he likes to put into tennis his time and so he's uh, he's a tennis fan and uh, he's a very good coach and so that was my link here and then yeah. I came here. Okay, so we should say we're sitting in Frankfurt right now. What age did you first come to Frankfurt? So how old was I? So it's like 2004, 2003, 2004 is the first time I was in uh, in Germany. That's uh, So I was 22, 23 when I played my first... 23, I was when I played the league matches and then I was still going back to in- England in between that time. So okay. 24, 25 is when I first was basing myself out of Germany, like living here, you know, and training with the new coach and, you know, getting on the road, driving and stuff from out of Germany. And rest of the family was back in, uh, back in Australia, back in Melbourne. Yeah, rest of the family back in Melbourne. They were all there and I just, you know, always planned to be home November, December, January. Sometimes, actually, initially at 24, 25 years old, I, there was a lot of challenges at the start of the year. Bernie and uh, we had a lot of those futures and challenges connected after the Oz Open. So then uh, I just hung out there till middle of March, maybe sometimes if a schedule worked, end of March, did a bit of practice, played those tournaments, and then I was on the road from March till December. Mm. Uh, sometimes it worked out, I got out February, depending on the schedule, and then I always planned to come home Christmas time. That's, uh, that's a life of... Uh, an Aussie player, I think that's just you got to be. You know, you could have, you might, I might have had a chance to come back mid-year, but summer is where it is in Europe. You know, there's a lot more tournaments. Yeah, you know? yeah. If your club matches, like you said, it's a chance to make some money, especially when you're on the lower tours. How is the culture shock? So you're 24, 25, grew up in the Middle East, immigrated to Australia lived in America for a few years and then off to Europe as well. So you, you've seen quite a lot of the world by a fairly young age. How was it? What did you notice as the differences? Where did you feel comfortable? What were the hard things? You know, different cultures, different people, 
different style of living. But uh, be honest, like it was uh, tennis was the the common denominator. So that yeah, means sure. you know, so you're, you're meeting tennis people. Yeah. So you you know, I think tennis people are very similar all over the world. You know, they culturally could be different, environmentally different, grown up differently. But the tennis is a common the denominator. That's the link. that link, yeah. just like. So I met a lot of very, very nice people through tennis, all parts of the world, and I still have connection with them. And uh, language doesn't even play a part. It's more like you just, you're tennis, you're loving tennis, you're tennis fans or tennis, uh, you know, junkies. And so it's like uh, t- tennis is tennis, tennis is what brought us all together. So that made it easier. And I think tennis is a game you play alone. So it's like being alone on the road kind of worked for me. I was, I could see that. I got, I got used to that. So yeah. And I think a lot of the tennis people understand that. They like being alone out there playing. And, you know, even if you're in a doubles team, you're actually hitting the shot by yourself. It's, you know, so um, tennis tennis has that. You know, you're by yourself. With other people, you're looking for hits. But they have the same uh, intentions, uh, you know, same passion. So the, the game brings you together. I think in a team, like a team sport, like a football, you're with your 11 guys. But you, you're not trying to be friends with the other 11 guys on the team. You know, yeah. your opponents. But in tennis you're looking for hits so you are actually friends with your opponent sometimes you know like you have that link you know you might even the spectator who's cheering the opponent might come to you and go hey man well that was a good match you know maybe i can help you you know so it brings everyone together come to germany come to europe playing singles at what point did it go from you for from being a singles player to getting into doubles like you said doubles came a bit easier At, at what point did you decide doubles is the way ahead for you 31 or 32 years old i had a bit of an injury on my hand i uh uh, dislocated my finger and i was out for about six to seven months and then i came back my ranking dropped a bit to 500 and uh, i still continue to play singles but i said okay i'll invest a bit more in playing challenges where where i can grow my doubles ranking and still play the singles and i still made my way back maybe up to 400 but the doubles was just going faster i was the 80 70 75 85 was running around getting into some grand slams and then you couldn't play singles those weeks and leading up tournaments you were trying to work on your doubles maybe some of the doubles guys i was playing with were like come on we got to play a bit more doubles so we get to know each other and so the singles was taking a back seat but uh i quite enjoyed singles a lot but the technical developments that i needed that i hadn't had at a younger age they they had taken their time and so doubles just came easier you were you were coming up and i had good volleys i learned really good volleys from a young age like playing on grass sometimes those junior tournaments and yeah. those money tournaments we have at home and and uh, so doubles just came easier but i learned also in doubles it was it's a it's a, tri- it's a tricky business because of the partnership you got to develop and you got to stay with guys and i'm in germany uh speaking english so like you know it's not the main language in europe so like you got to have the right connection with players i got to know some very nice german players and played a lot with them but uh, yeah. you know it, it's cultural different you got to spend time with them off court and you know it's different so i think it helps if you uh, you know, from the same background, same language. So that's why, you know, you see some of the Aussie guys doing well together with each other rather than, you know, breaking up and looking for other other partners. Early 30s, you make the transition, playing mainly doubles. How long did it take? How long did you play for with, with your doubles? Yeah, so, I, yeah, I would say 31, 32, I'm starting to play doubles and uh, I'm still playing league matches. I'm still playing some singles, but I'm focusing only on doubles. And so I played another five or six years. I was between my highest ranking of 62 to 85, 90 most of that time. And uh, I dropped out uh, maybe one time around to 110 then come back to 70, 75. So it was a mix of challenges and ATP events and, uh, and Grand Slams. I was getting to a lot, of, a lot of those Grand Slams, but I was getting in with some singles players because it's a combined ranking yeah, event. Sure. So I was looking to get in to have my, you know, taking the bigger shot at those, you know, those bigger events. They didn't work as well because it was just a one-off week. You know, singles guys have a, you know, big match. 
doubles is not their priority, which is fair. And uh, you, they're still trying their best and you're trying to come together. You're not really practicing together. So there's ups and downs in that part of doubles. And I try to make teams with players to develop. We had success. Sometimes we didn't get into tournaments. So there was, you know, you're losing your rhythm a little bit on the tour of, you know, you're playing with this guy, you're playing with this guy. And uh, that's just part of the business. But I had a lot of fun, you know, uh, playing doubles because I learned a lot about the game and a lot, of, a lot about, you know, dealing with people and dealing with players. And I think that will hold me in good stead in the yeah. next chapter and moving on to coaching. Yeah, sure. Okay. Um, so you ended up finishing end of 2019. How long before that, or were there other times as well, how long before that were you thinking about stopping and, and moving on with tennis? So 2019, I'm 38, turning 39, corona hit, so no more dubs. I was still contemplating playing after that, but it was restrictions, and I was still motivated to play, But uh, and then I'd been you know, getting into this, working with a couple of players, and it was quite motivating to see that side that I was, you know, I and like you, tennis. And, and we, we should say you had uh, you had family as well by yep. this time, right? So we had family, uh, my daughter's nine, so, uh, you know, so we were, um, uh, yeah, so, you know, did that, developing that side and, you know, being at home after corona, you're thinking, this is something you could get used to, you haven't done that for 20 years. Up till college, I hadn't th- start, thought about stopping, you know. After college, the first two years, I liked what I call the honeymoon period. You're still on tour. You're starting to get used to the tour. You're having still some success because you're starting from zero. From then on, from 25 to 39, I would say every year, uh, there was at least three moments a year you thought about, okay, this is it. Time to hang it up. Somehow you think about that for a week and then you're thinking, no, I've got to, you know, I've got to give it time. And then you end up buying yourself your own time. Like you're talking to yourself into three months and then six months. And then you're thinking again, no, it's not working out. So... I think in a player's career like mine, where it was, you know, there was a lot of development to go over, then you're thinking, are you developing? Are you not developing? Are you getting better? Are you got a shot getting up or you're not? Financially, you're thinking, what are you investing in? So, yeah, I would say that was a, that was a constant battle of thinking that you're going to continue. And, and at the end of it, I was thinking, how, how did this happen that I'm still playing at 38, 39? You know, it's a constant mental battle to go, are you getting better? Are you not getting better? If you're not getting better, what's the point of playing? Because sure. at the lower levels, you, there's no, there's nothing financial. You, there's no reason. You love the game, but uh, it, it's a, it's a minus every week. You have to respect that. You know, respect that. That's where it is. It, it needs to develop there a bit more. So then, when I was playing Grand Slams, then you, you know, you're playing at nice tournaments. Your profits are not big in the doubles, but at least you are like it. It's your dream to be at Grand Slams and trying to, you know, push yourself one day to, you know, to succeed at those bigger tournaments. So that that motivation kicks in later and. So it was a bit easier playing doubles because you were at the better tournaments. You were financially breaking even to making some profit. But uh, so the last few years are easier. But like between twenty four and thirty two, when you're uh, you know at the futures and uh, yeah, you're thinking about that a lot. <laughs> you know when you're throwing throwing the towel. There's a lot of my friends who I grew up with playing who in that moment gave up. You know because it, it's fair. Giving up is not a bad thing. It's just you know. It's, what the environment was calling for you not making any money how do you survive you week to week pretty constant battle between you loving tennis and loving to play and the reality of making money and being able to make a career and being financially successful fair to say it is it is i think it, it is a constant battle between 400 to 500 and uh, needing development uh, yeah. to improve you need support so then you know you got to pay for that support and uh, you still got to get find your way to tournaments but when you are uh, when you're at home in training weeks, you, you have no way to financially uh, make a plus so you can take that money on the road and pay for those things. So, sure. and, and you are showing a minus because you're paying people to support you, like trainer or athletic trainer, go to the gym. You have costs if you're in Germany, uh, paying for an apartment, so, you know, living costs. So it's like, yeah, it's, it, tennis is not set up to support players like me who are looking to, who realize you need development. 
you yeah. know uh, if you if you've hit the jackpot at 17 18 19 20 through your junior career and you you're really well developed player and doing well it's set up for that mm-hmm. or you know you've got big backing from sponsors to kind of you know and you're a good player already you know you could get going but if you if you're in the development stage then you're going to need some support from family from sponsors sponsors don't really come for you if you need development because it's yeah. a risk and your potential is getting deleted because yeah. your years are running by while you're developing so sponsors need to you know have their product on your back and in yeah. uh, to be seen so so they're not coming but if your parents can support you or family can support you that's that's a that's a that's a, that's a bonus yeah. but i didn't have that but uh no complaints there i quite enjoyed you know with the you know back against the wall but uh, i think yeah development is tough in tennis it's not a sport where you will see a lot of players developing and then making a run later in their careers because the financial burden that you you carry up for that development it's not like you know you go to nba or other sports you're part of a team and uh, you know you're under a contract for a certain amount of millions and if you have a bad year you still have coaches you can pay for coaches to develop yourself and then two three years later you can you can actually become a better player Uh, in tennis you've got to be a good player to a certain extent and then let's say be at 250 now the uh, the tour is getting a little bit better supporting those guys so you can develop from 250 to 100 but if you get in a rot and you're stuck between 500 700 or 600 800 uh, you losing money and how do you develop how do you develop you know that's that's gonna have you have cost to develop you're gonna have to pay a coach you have cost you know wherever you are coaches don't always live in your own town sometimes yep. you've got to travel to these coaches in the world yep. who can you know you have a chemistry with or you get along with so Cost is a tough one. Coming up to the end of your career, obviously you know you're getting older, thinking about maybe stopping. What were the options for you as far as a next career? Look, to be honest, I, if Corona hadn't come, I was not stopping. Uh, I was still struggling to kind of put a run together with someone in doubles, but I still was positive about it. But uh, but then, uh, yeah, the ranking was a little bit dropping in the doubles. I was about 130, 140. You know, which is a tough place to be in doubles because you're not getting into the bigger tournaments, a combined ranking event. Only challenger tournaments. Only challenger ranking, tournaments right? at, yep. at, at that ranking. And then uh, and then didn't really have a partner where I was thinking I could develop with at the time. So I'd have to go searching, uh, developing a new partnership. It can take between six months to nine months because you've got to get to know the guy. You're, you're trying to get your tactics right. and So so Corona came and that made everything a bit clear. Yeah. Um, and then after that, I was, yeah, I was always going to stay in tennis. Mm-hmm. Um, I was I quite like the idea of actually commentating and getting into media, um, but Corona was coming and there was no tournaments, so uh, was not much going on. I was looking to then just coach, you know, that was an option. Yeah, and uh, and I quite liked the coaching side. I like tennis in general, so I thought I can stay in tennis that way. And yes, and I just started a small academy in in uh, Frankfurt, uh, close to Frankfurt in Offenbach. Yeah, yep. and uh, and that was it. And it was Corona time. There was restrictions and stuff with uh, what we need to do. But we now it's uh, opening up a bit more, and and that's it. So I'm basically coaching away some of the young talent in in the Frankfurt Offenbach region. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I haven't been home for three years. There was a pretty hard lockdown. Uh, you know, it wasn't allowed entry and allowed home out. To, home to Melbourne. Home to Melbourne. So, so I haven't been there, and uh, so um, yeah. That's it. That's where where it is right now. Okay. Um, so talk about your players. Uh, how you got started with this as a coach? What are your goals now? Obviously, as a player, you had to set a lot of goals and and try and stretch and reach for some goals. As a coach, do you follow the same process? You have goals, that, things that you want to achieve within coaching. I think every coach or every player wants to get to the the bigger tournaments. You know, like you're trying to play. Uh, you're trying to play the bigger tournaments when you're a player, and you're trying to coach the at the bigger events uh, but I feel like when uh, two years ago when I started coaching or three years ago now that it was uh, it's about building 
you know, it's like a process that I had from, like as a player, I learned that, you know, so I didn't really set any big goals because I learned from my last journey that at 18, I thought I was going to be world number one, you know, I was thinking sure, yeah. too far ahead. So now I thought, yeah, I'm just going to build, you know, if, uh, if someone comes and they want to take some lessons and want to get better, I'm open to working with anyone and developing that, uh, you know, that uh, journey with them rather than setting any big goals or taking them to world number one. It's uh, anyone who comes looking for help to be a bit better pass on the knowledge and share the knowledge yeah. and then that was my initial goal for the th first three to five years which i'm in right now but uh, you know obviously the bigger picture you're thinking you know i'd like to take a player to the bigger events and uh, when the opportunity comes but you know as a coach you got to be willing to put in the time you know it's the same thing you did as a player yeah uh, so there's a there's a development stage you know for players so unless unless you get sometimes it can happen that a good player ask you to work with them and they're already, you know, they're ranking of 40 in the world. And then you're thinking, okay, now we're results orientated. We're not into huge development. How can we take this player from 40 to 20, you know, maybe 100 to 50, 100, 200 to 100. But I'm more right now was, I would say, in the development stage of my own coaching career to developing players, you know. But uh, I think I'll, with my experience, I'll be ready to work with someone at a higher ranking. But yeah. that opportunity hasn't come yet. Development, you use the word development a lot. When you think about that, do you think about more developing the players or have you started coaching and realized that you need to develop skill, more skills yourself? Obviously, for people that know you already, you're very tactically minded and very good understanding of tennis. Um, how have you found the transition in having to communicate and, and teach those things to other people? Communication is a good word because I think as a player... Uh, communication is not on to you it's on to the coach to communicate stuff to you as a player you you have to be a good listener maybe you're not some players are not maybe i was not myself but you have to be a good listener but as a coach you have to, you're on the other side you're trying to communicate the stuff that you want the player to take in so that's obviously a, a process to learn yourself but learn about yourself how to communicate how to reach a player are you talking too much are you talking too little are you using the right words that can reach the player so i think that's that's something you have to develop as a person and as mm -hmm. a coach because you don't have that as a player. So that's been a development. And understanding about the game as a coach rather than a player is different because it's how you see it is not as important as a coach as a player it is. But as a coach, you want to see it through the eyes of the player and then use your knowledge to get him to see a different way. So yeah. communication is a great word. I think in coaching, that's important to understand how to communicate everything that's happening around the player and then goes inside the player, you know, the environment. And so that's, that's the coach's job. Sometimes it could be mental, you know, like it doesn't have to be about the game. And, you know, sometimes things happen. Players are running late for a flight and they get all hectic and then the whole week is a bit hectic, you know. Yeah. So you try to slow them down. Look, this is just one moment. It doesn't attach to two, three days of, uh, you know, it doesn't need to, you don't hold on to it and, you know, they lose their bags or, you know, so it's a, it's a whole process. As a player, you only worry about yourself. As a coach, you're trying to look, at other things, how they're making the player, the environment. So that's more important, communicating that to the player. Okay. Um, so you've been coaching a few years now. Uh, have you actually been back to, and I actually know that you have, uh, you've started, or some of your better players have started playing smaller professional tournaments. Um, how, do, how do you like or see these professional tournaments now now that you're on the other side rather than being a player at the tournaments is it a lot different being at the tournaments as a coach as opposed to being a player i think it is because i think when you're a player you're playing and you're in the tournament so you don't see the outside factor but when you're not 
you're not hitting four hours a day or you're not going to the gym, you see a lot more from outside because when you were hitting, I got tired, I was only worried about myself. So you can really see like visually uh, the stuff at the lower events, what the players are doing wrong maybe, what they could be doing better, not wrong, but they could be doing better. Because when you're a player, you're really in the moment, you think about your hits, you're a bit tired, you're taking rest and the timing of it and everything, you don't really notice that because you're living, you're doing it. So. Uh, that's a that's a big thing that I noticed, you know, and then you can really help the player. So I really appreciate the support that I got when I was uh, playing, and uh, and I see how important that is. That's one reason you see a lot of these big tournaments. The boxes are full, you know. I mean, yeah. you know, players like Roger Rafa, that's a big example. They they're taking up to twenty people with them to tournaments. You know, you think twenty people with you. You know, you got your father, you got your mother. Uh, you got your family, as in uh, your immediate family, and wife and kids, and you know you've got your coach and trainer and this guy and like stringer, and you've got agent you, manager. Yeah, yeah. It's a lot, and you just see and you go, well, do they really need that? But when you're from the outside, you're thinking, yeah, if if I can make this player think about just his tennis and how easy I can make it for him, he can really perform. So it's all a financial thing. I think you're not going to see that at the lower levels. But uh, sure. but even that one guy or the one girl or the one physio or the one athletic trainer can really direct the, the player and keep them in a straight line. That's That can be a big help. You see a lot of other coaches at these smaller smaller pro tournaments? Yeah, you see a lot of a lot of former players that I that I played with, I spent okay. time with. And uh, uh, just depends. It depends on the schedule. Some you know, some you didn't know. And But you just become friends with them a little bit because, I mean, it's a shared knowledge uh, game. But I think you're you're mainly concerned about your own team. So you spend a lot of time with your own team and of players. I, when I went to a couple of smaller tournaments last year, we had uh, two players on the team. And uh, so there was three of us sharing. We, we made contact with the physio and he joined the team. So it was four of us. And... You're trying to build the team together and you know you obviously meet other players to hit with so you they come join your team for yeah, you meet time with, at a time meet up with other people it's it's a pretty big community, it's the, a good community. It's a, yeah the, the tennis community where do you see your development coming from as far as would you rather see the players that you're currently working with improve and go through the ranks do you see some other players making contact with you maybe higher rank players making contact with you obviously you know a lot of people from your time on the tour how do you see your development back towards coaching at the higher levels of the game like i said before it's, i haven't even given a thought uh, to think that you know uh where everyone's going to come from or like if a good player will call or you know or a, a lower level player i'm just open right now to taking any calls or any like anyone looking to get better that i'm just keeping it at that it's early days you know i want to develop myself like you said communicating and uh, you know that's an important part of the game to develop that and trying to better yourself that when the opportunity comes you're more prepared to handle that an yeah. opportunity of uh, working a player through the ranks or, uh, you know, or uh, managing a player that they already have a ranking and improving them through that area, you know. Yeah. Uh, some of the top players, they don't need as much uh, technical stuff. They, you know, you can see they already have a level, sure. certain level. So, you know, maybe, maybe tactical or the mental side, or, you know, like they need a bit more straight and narrow approach but some are you know some of the lower level players they need a broad approach of like off court like small things about warm up cooling down understanding the whole how to be at a tournament the routines and so you know but i'm open to 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 doing both of those it's not i haven't really put down that i would like to work with this player or this player i'm not putting myself in one box or the other but just more stay open and see what opportunities come okay. early days and i think some of the some of the coaches who've been on tour for a long time, they know themselves as a coach. After 10 years, you go, I want to work with this type of player. I know this type of player I can work with. And I, I'm, I'm open to really trying a lot of different players, different personalities, different characters, different rankings. And, you know, it's early days, you know, so it's like, uh, 
yeah, open to really doing anything. But the, you know, some of the older coaches they know what they want, and they really they, they might even decline a player. I'm not. I wouldn't really decline a player at this stage. Yeah, sure. Okay, so you talk about the development as a coach. Um, obviously, as a player, you need a coach to help you develop. Uh, I mean, or at least you felt you did. Uh, how do you go about developing as a coach? Who do you speak to, or do you speak to people, or what are you currently doing to get better as a coach? Good question. That's a very, very good question. You know, I think it's, uh, yeah, it's not, you don't go to a school, you know, there's no university to go and, you know, do tennis coaching. But we should say there are, there are qualifications and courses that you can do, right? So, good point. Yeah. 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 I think there is some stuff, yeah, you can do with the ATP and every, every country has their own federation courses and stuff. And uh, yeah. So there is stuff out there. You're right. It's not a it's not a four year university, but I think no. they have courses. Can sometimes yeah. take a year. And at the end of the day, it's also also shared knowledge. So uh, you know, like other people who are teaching you those courses, they've had some knowledge or from from traveling or from learning. But as you can see in tennis, there's uh, many ways to play. Yeah. So it's a bit complicated. There's no black or white. You know, uh, it's a lot of gray area and how to hit a ball, how to do stuff. But uh, how do you improve? For me personally, I like to learn from mistakes. I like to read books uh, from other players and their experiences mm-hmm. uh, to have, yeah. a, you know, to see their experience. But I like to do things, you know. So and I just go ahead and do it, and uh, I might make a mistake, and I'm willing to admit it. And from that mistake, I can learn, you know. And if some, I'm, and I have good people sometimes around me who are willing to tell me when I got something wrong. And yeah. they, and now nowadays you have a lot of YouTube, you have a lot of gadgets and apps that can show you that you got something wrong and there's someone else is doing it better and you can learn from that. So I like I, I would say my best teacher is my mistakes that I learned from my mistakes, you know. And as long as I can pay attention to them and I felt like always I was I could be critical to myself before as a player and I think that's a that's a strength I hope to carry over as a coach to uh, learn from the mistakes, you know, and and willing to listen to other coaches or players when they tell you you got it wrong because I think Coaches can get locked into that they, they can they're never wrong, you know. Yeah. That's always the player's fault, and uh, you know I think that's probably not the truth. You know, like a player might have got in a situation seventy percent wrong, but you might have got the thirty percent wrong in that situation. But I think the blame always goes back to the player. So I think I was on that side, and I felt like you know, coach, you told me to do this, but maybe you didn't explain it that well, you know, and I didn't get it. And I was telling the coach like, no, I did, and you know, the it's back onto the player, and I think. And if you can be open to learning from that 30%, that's how you can really take steps on getting better as a coach. Yeah, well, I, I realize this as well through my coaching as well. There's no, a lot of coaching is very subjective stuff. So it's, it's, it's a lot of gray area. The black and white for a player is wins and losses. So yes. at the end of the day, the player gets judged by wins and losses. The coach, it's a little bit harder to judge. You can judge by the players' wins and losses, but it's quite easy. It's very possible just to shift blame and there's how much of it is a coach's fault and how much is a player's fault. I feel like in the coaching department, when the player's playing well, a uh, coach is willing to jump on and go, yeah, it's because of what I'm doing. When the losses have been coming, the coaches are not really willing to put their hand up you know, and go, I got that wrong. you know. And I think it takes a big man to really come out and go, oh yeah, I got that wrong. It's not easy to do that in anything yeah. as a player or as a coach, as a person. It's just tough to do that. But I think that's when you can shift blame over to the player. But I think that's why players uh, make the big bucks, you know. <laughs> they yeah. have to take the hits, you know. When they win the tournaments, they take all the prize money and the trophies, you know. 
no coaches called onto the court and said, hey, you want to hold the trophy up too, you know? So I think, so when they're taking hits, they take the bigger hits too, you know? Like in the media and, you know, I'm talking about the bigger players, you know? Yeah, sure. So it's like, it's not really, so I think, but if the coach can privately take some responsibility, they can make the team really strong, uh, you know, to the player. If he says, look, yeah. you know, I'll, sometimes it's happened to me now in my coaching career that I've worked on something and I've mishandled the situation. In the moment, I've thought, nah, I was right. But a couple of weeks later, another situation's happened. You're like, oh, I think I got that wrong a little bit, you know? Tactically, that was not right. You know, you're not going to get every tactic right. So, but you were like, and then going back to the player admitting, it's a humbling experience, but uh, it's one that can make the team better and can make you a better coach. Because you look, if you say you admit you got it wrong, it stays with you deep inside a bit more and you'll learn from it. Mm. Rather than if you just put it on the carpet and you never bring it up, you didn't really learn from it, you know. But admitting it can really like, it hurts, but it can teach you something. Like, you know, as a player, I always learned, you learn a lot more from losses than wins. So if you lost this one, you know, as a coach, you got yeah. it wrong and you admit it, you have, it's a loss that's officially written now because the player knows you got it wrong. Yeah. You can really learn from that loss rather than if it was not talked about anymore, you yeah. can't learn. So mistakes are a big one to learn from as long as you can admit them and accept them. Not easy to do. I'm not saying I'm the best at, like, at that, but that's where I feel like where the learning can be done. Yeah, it's, it's probably more about understanding and seeing as well because it's... It's objective. Uh, I think, yeah, a, a lot Did of... Did you get it wrong? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think my coaching has been, or development has been similar in a way. It's a lot of learn by doing and get learn by doing is easily for me being the best, but at the same time, it's having people to talk to and bounce ideas off. I'm lucky, and I should say that you were my introduction into professional tennis mm-hmm. and we spent a lot of time on on at the lower levels of the tour and even at the bigger tour events as well both of us learning i'm lucky through that to have been exposed to other great tennis minds and you start to figure out their good tennis minds number one when you speak to them and like the the ideas are coming at you and the thoughts are coming at you and you can evaluate the thoughts and and decide if they're good but then number two also in the end we're in a results business at, at, at the top end, especially mm-hmm. rather than the, the junior end is much more development, about the development business. Mm-hmm. By the time we're at the professional end, is the top end, it's it's a big results business. So the coaches that have a pretty good record with a number of different players of getting results, you start to, this is probably how you build your reputation as a coach uh, over a long time, I think. Yeah, I think, I mean, completely right. What in life, uh, who doesn't want to be associated to a winner? We sure. all got to be winners, you know, like it's a, it's a business. You got to win, you know, I think, but uh, I think winning is subjective in tennis, you know, uh, you think about it every week at every single tournament, there's only one winner. Everyone else has lost something, yep. you know, so I think tennis should be a business about it's, losing. It's a, it's a lot of learning opportunities. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. So it's about understanding, accepting, losing, you know, so, but, but we as in a world or we want winners, you know, so. I think tennis um, humbles you to go, you're, you're most likely going to lose. There's 64 yeah. players, 128 players, or 32 players in the draw. It's going to be one winner, yeah. and the all others are going to lose at some stage. Yeah. You know? So if you can learn to accept that and really learn from that, even as a coach or as a player, I think you can go far. Just understand what is winning. What is winning? You know, sometimes when you run a 100-meter sprint, it's not about if you come first as long as you can run your personal best. Yeah. Because you're winning. Because you did your personal best. You know? I think in tennis, like you said, it's about winning the match. But maybe you did your personal best and on that day the, the, the opponent was better. Yeah. So you can live with that's a winning. You know, you did your personal best if you felt like and you, that's a development and you can run another personal best rather than, you know. So, But if you take that as a loss and take that as a negative, you might not improve. 
Correct. So we're, we're back to all about how you understand and, and accept the information that's that's coming to you, right? Hmm. I think so too. I think it's and it's communicating. You know, like as long as the coach can communicate that to the player and understand that he did win, even though he lost, and he can take that on board. And if he if you can reach the player, then then you you've you know, I mean, you've got years to get better. Then you know that moment didn't hurt hurt you. You know, but if you take it as loss as a loss, uh, and you didn't see that as a win, that you got something and you learned something, and so. Uh, yeah, easy to say, tough to do. Players have emotions, and like you said, they want to win. They get paid when they win. That's the other side of the environment that's putting pressure on you to yeah. win. You got to win. You know, you can. The player should say back to the coach, "But I didn't win. You know, I got still got to pay the bills. I've been losing four weeks in a row." And the coach is like, "But well, we're on the right way. We've got this, and we we're seeing we're developing in practice." But the player's like, "No, man. Four weeks, no results. You've got one more shot to the coach." And the coach goes next tournament. He gets done another first or second round. He doesn't have a job. You know, so it's. Sure. So you you know like you can communicate all you want and if the results are not on the board and if the player's not on board to give you the time uh you know it's a balancing act for the players also i don't blame them you know they, they're financially involved playing your bills so so if, if we talk about winning and losing we're, we're on to more your the side of your professional players now so you, you've mm-hmm. got how many how many professional players do you work so with? in my academy we have about two to three professional players ranked around 700 to a thousand and the other players, a couple of college players that, you know, come back during the summer practice yeah. with us and a couple of players that finish high school looking to go to college or looking to try out uh, what's out there in the, in the lower levels yeah. uh, to, to, you know, get some experience, but uh, most likely leaning towards college. Um, I think there's a bit of a shock to the system to see what, how many players are playing the professional game at lower levels and, yeah. uh, and what it takes to even be moving up 100 spots in the rankings, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, tennis is deep now and... Uh, I guess we should say for for the Australian listeners as well, um, we're talking tennis is deep and how many professional players are playing, particularly in Europe, would you say? Yeah, there's, I think there's, just tennis is growing. I, I, I would say I'm sitting in Germany and tennis is a booming sport right now, you know, like at, at lower levels and people willing to try professionally. I think the world was a lot bigger 20 years ago, as in, you know, logistically it was tougher to get to tournaments and stuff and there was no online, there was no... Inter- when I played, there was no phones. There was no laptops, so it was, uh, you know, we, we entered the tournaments through fax. Yeah. So, you know, you see, so logistically, <laughs> it's tough to get into tournaments just if you didn't have a fax machine, you know, like, yeah. and you remember going to places where you could fax stuff, entries, and you can't check the results. You, it, we used to book flights at uh, travel agents, yeah. you know, so it's like, it's logistically tough. Now you're on a, you, you, you can get to tournaments day to day, you know, you Friday, you're in a tournament, Saturday, you're at another place, you know? Yeah, 3 p.m. you lose and 7 p.m. you're on a flight yeah, that night. It works, yeah. you know, so that, yeah. that's, make, that's growing the game. So more people are willing to try it out, you know, before, before that journey was a lot harder. So that meant, uh, you know, you, it, you really got to be fired up and believe that you're going to ever do something in the game. Right now, even if you're not sure you can get to top 100 and you think you can get to 700, you're willing to try it because you're like, I'll develop, it's quite comfortable for me to get on my phone, book a flight, I'll go to a tournament, test myself out, you know? It wasn't like that back in my day. You had to believe you were gonna go top 100 mm. and then you might get to 800 because you had to have that belief because look at the, the it's logistics are so tough that you, just to be able to try it, it's yeah. so hard. Now it's open, the world's open. There's tournaments all over the world. There's a lot of these UTR tournaments. There's a lot of these prize money tournaments that are growing that give people a chance to kind of make some small money and give you a chance to play. And the more you win those smaller events, you go, whoa, let me see what's out there, you know? So, um, yeah, it's, it's a bit more open. And I think uh, there's a lot more players playing, even though the rankings don't show you that, like a guy ranked 10,000 in the world doesn't have a professional ranking. Yeah. But there's more players playing. 
that means more players playing, more players pushing each other to move up. So there's 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 a lot of opportunities to try and see uh, how you can you know okay. get into the professional game. Sure. So we we talk about winning and losing with your professional players. Um, how do you find the emotions of winning and losing as a coach now compared to how you found it as a player? I find it easier as a coach. <laughs> didn't play the match, so you didn't go in an emotional roller coaster on the court. You know, I think you you are riding some emotions off the court, yeah. but I think you are not playing, so you you know you can be cooler. But of course, on the big moments, you're really going up and down with the player. Yeah. Uh, but you know, but the player is the whole time. You know, even if the player is sitting on the bench during change events, he's really feeling the emotions of you know he's thinking about the points before. And I think as a coach, you can you know when you're sitting on the sidelines, you can can let that go a bit quicker. But uh, yeah, I mean, the players have more on the line than the coach. You know, I think the coach has got his job on the line, but the players have their lives on the line. You know, it's a it's their life. They're living this. The coaches might end up losing a job, but you know, he might go home and he might look for another, you know, player and but the players this is their life, you know. So it's, yeah. it's, it's a lot it's a lot harder for the player than as, as as it is for the coach. Yeah. But the coach's job's on the line. So it is hard also for the coach, you know. Yeah, I the more I do it, I start to kind of look at a big part of the job. And it depends player to player as well, but a big part of the job especially for professional players is a lot of that emotional regulation so it's it's your job to help bring a player up after they've had a bad loss it's it's also your job on the flip side to help keep a player's feet on the ground when they've had a when they've had a good win and it's more the coach's job to see the bigger picture and see and and see the overall perspective i agree i think the coach can see a bit more from the outside he's not completely emotionally playing like i said you know yeah. so it can and then then it becomes his job or her job to kind of to to see the whole thing and how it's developing you know like the whole development of a player even if you're trying to go from number five to number one you're going to have to do some type of development even if you're number one in the world you got to develop yourself in some way that you can hold on to the number one position so so i think that's the coach's job i think that's where the coach steps in and sees the emotional side of the highs and lows and try to stay in the middle but then sometimes also ride the high you know i think i don't mind coaches like from the sideline you know jumping up and down got the fist in the air and really yeah, sure. riding the high you know yeah. he doesn't have to always stay neutral yeah. you know but i think it's a dangerous territory when they ride the lows too much you know because you yeah, don't sure. want to be like throwing your record when the player is throwing his record and you're like also going with him and yeah. you know like putting your head up uh, you know put your hands on your head and stuff like that so you want to be better with that but uh, but I think the coaches can ride the highs on lows but try to stay neutral when the player needs it and that's that's that uh, balance what you're talking about you need that a bit of the experience of coaching with different personalities and different players some yeah. some some people uh you know players you've seen on you know on the big tournaments they want their box to jump out of those seats you know even tell them yeah i played a big point you didn't jump out of the seat you know yeah and but some players are like telling the coach why are you jumping out of the seat you got to yeah. sit down you got to sit down because when i see you i get too excited so it's yeah. like that balancing of per- balancing act of personalities between the coach and player that's understanding your player what yeah he or she needs yeah it's an interesting one it's a balance you know as a player you're not thinking that as a player you're playing but the coach is seeing the bigger picture Ooh, in this moment he needs me to get out of my seat you know in this moment he needs me to stay calm so i think that emotional side what you're saying about highs and lows keeping the player while he's playing with your emotions and body language at an even keel that's it's important it's an important part of coaching i think you're not wrong so you're starting your coaching journey now 41 years old mm-hmm. um well you're a few years into your coaching journey mm-hmm. um Obviously, you're a big, passionate tennis guy. 
where do you see the coaching journey taking you? Is there is there anything else you would like to do within tennis, or do you see yourself coaching until you know your mid sixties and you're ready to retire? What would you like to see the future hold for you, or do you even know? Yeah, yeah, it's tough to say right now. Like I said, I'm open to really working with different personalities, different characters, all types of players, rankings, and even beginner players, and sharing the knowledge a little bit. But uh, yeah, I think I think as a tennis community, we can do better in uh, in supporting the lower level players. That's something I would like to see. Uh, how to go about it? I can't answer that right now. Uh, yeah. But uh, I you think, like you like to see it, or would you like to also be involved? Yeah, in I, I would like to be involved. I'd like to see it, and uh, if there's anything that I could help with, I would like to be part of it. Sure. And I think that we need to do that better. Um, maybe that's a bit closer to my heart because I was in that for years, you know, and I thought it would be nice for me to get that support. Now I'm not in there, but I still, you know, remember those times and I feel like we need to help this player a little bit more. I don't think we're trying to make players 600, 700, 800 in the world millionaires, but we want to support them. They can have their journey and their chance to show what they can do. And I think that will make the game better. That will create more different stories out of the game and that will be interesting for this, uh, the, the normal spectator. Yeah, I guess we've seen a couple of these uh, a couple of these older players. I mean, you did say earlier that it was hard for the older players to get through, but we've seen a couple in the last year in particular. If we look at uh, a guy like Oscar Otter, um, Botic van der Sanschulp, uh, a couple of these guys, especially on the men's side, uh, older and kind of breaking through to to the higher levels of the game now, right? Yeah, I mean, but but how old are these guys? Twenty seven? Are we talking? Or yeah, twenty seven. Yeah, but I wouldn't consider that old. I'm saying like yeah. I, if I think about my journey, I did college nineteen to twenty two, twenty three. Then I play one or two years, twenty four, twenty five on the lower levels, and I yeah. realize that I need development. Yeah, these guys at twenty four, twenty five are already at two hundred in the world. Already had played some tournaments at a higher level they're not requiring that much development. You know, they're requiring a bit more understanding of the game, working with the right coach to kind of make those steps. Sure. I'm talking about more players. If you go to the lower level, which is the future level, and you, you go, you see seven, eight hundred, seven hundred level player, eight hundred level player, and you see, whoa, this guy's got some potential, but he needs some time. He needs some understanding of the game, right coaching, mm-hmm. but he's 26 years old. Where yeah. does he go now? Where's this player going now? You know, like, uh, yeah. so I think that player needs a bit of support that he can he can have those two years to kind of financially to stay even somehow mm-hmm. at some of those tournaments and then still give something to the game at 28 29 30 and make the game better you know i think i think you have those players in other sports that are a lot older players you know uh with the word that i don't like to use they call like journeyman you know but i think the journeymen make the game better because they show the resilience of the game that you can you can master the game at your own speed. You don't have to you don't have to be a master at 18, 19, 20 like your Alex Zverevs or Rafa Nadal's, you know. You don't have to do that. But we gotta give this guy a chance to show that, you know. And if if there's no opportunity for him to kind of prolong his career or to develop, uh, you know, it's a shame. I think that's why you're gonna develop different personalities, you know. And so I think that's where I think the game can be better, in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, how we go about it, that's something to be discussed with, you know, the, the people involved in tennis and, you know, but I, but I really feel like the tennis is booming. You know, uh, I'm in the coaching business and I really see that uh, there's a lot of people willing to play, a lot of people, and good people willing to invest their time uh, and, and finances to help the game grow at a lower level. Um, we need to put our heads together, you know, to to take advantage of that. I guess we uh, have to watch this space and seeing what happens in the future for you, right? That's it. I mean, yeah. I hope I'm 
uh, one, you know, taking steps to bring that that, that part up. But, uh, you know, like uh, on selfish reasons, you're thinking, you know, you are still got to develop a few more players and, you know, get a, you know, a better understanding of how I can help players. So then I understand players who might then be able to come together to help, you know, the, the game grow. You sure. know, not only these investors and, uh, you know, people who are willing to help from the outside, but the players, if they come together and they're all on the same page, they can help the game grow. I think some of the players are, are pretty selfish like myself, you know, like we all think only about ourselves, which is fair as a player because you're out there playing by yourself. But I think the players need to come together to grow the game. Yeah. And I think the coaches hopefully will do that together. I think coaches are better at that. I think coaches, when I see them at the tournaments, we all talk about different issues and different stuff and we might not see eye to eye on everything, but all, everyone's thinking, yeah, how can we make the game better? And I think uh, if the players and coaches all come together in a pool, they can, uh, they can take a big step. Ramiz Junaid, thanks for your time. Thanks for having me, Ron. The First Serve is your home of tennis at thefirstserve.com.au. Log on to find out all the details of our live radio show, other podcasts, read weekly features by our team of writers, and follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Sometimes needing new tyres can catch us by surprise. That's why tyre power gives you the power of zip pay and zip money. You can get what you need now, get back on the road safely and pay for it later. Terms and conditions apply. So visit tyrepower.com.au or call 13 91